The whole world word of God is the view to direct us in prayer, but the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called that Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Hi. Good morning. I thought we all could need some a bit of humor this morning. So good morning. I'm glad you've joined us today for the start of a six-part series on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, you're probably thinking, how is he going to preach six weeks on the Lord's Prayer? But I could have preached longer, actually. Uh, the more I study it, the more I learn. So uh, six weeks is a short sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. So... Uh, the Lord's Prayer is the most recited prayer and the most memorized text and the most studied text in the Bible. The prayer of Jesus found in two books, Matthew and Luke, has been read and studied and memorized more than anything else in Scripture. This prayer is known for its simplicity and for its, its beauty for reflection of real life and for its version of the consummated kingdom. You see, this is not just a prayer to pray. You know, we, we, we recite this prayer, and I think when we hear text over and over again, it's like the text, for God so loved the world, we forget what it means. We forget how important the Lord's Prayer is because it's so common It's so known. But its meaning is so much deeper than to recite a word. I don't even think Jesus was telling them to recite this prayer. This prayer is a model of a prayer. Because there's stuff in it that Jesus wouldn't have needed to do. So why would he say you need to do this every time you pray? Jesus never sinned. So Jesus would have never needed to ask for forgiveness. But he's telling this is how you pray. So it's a model of a prayer, not a prayer. It's not something just to add on to the end of a prayer list, and it it makes the prayer magical. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the whole word of God is of use to direct us in prayer, but the special rule of direction 
is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. So today, we're going to be talking about the first part of the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father part of the prayer. But, we, but we, before we start, let's take a look, take some time and look a little bit about prayer. You know, so let's see what Jesus has to say about prayer. And I hope you realize, if you get offended by any of this, this is Jesus offending you, not me. I, I am good at offending people, but I really like it when Jesus offends you and it's not me, because Jesus is the one saying this, not me. Remember that. So, so if you want to open a Bible, we actually have Bibles in us. How do you like this, the, the layout of the sanctuary? It has been so long that we haven't been able to set up like this. When I was helping, David did part of it, and then I finished it, and I... I'm doing it, and I was excited. And then I'm, I'm going, should I put the Bibles back? Should I not put the Bibles back? Yeah, let's put the Bibles back, because if you feel comfortable enough, you can pick up a Bible. If you don't feel comfortable, don't pick one up. So I'm just excited that we get to worship like this again. And it's a little bit more normalcy than we had. So to begin, we're going to be in Matthew 6. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, because that's my preferred Bible version. Uh, The words will come up on the screen too, so we'll start in verse 5. He starts by saying, and when you pray. He doesn't say, if you pray. He really, really, today I think he should say, if you pray. Because a lot of us, if we're honest, don't pray every day. If we're honest. We don't take time out of our day, every day, to speak to God. But Jesus says, and when you pray, not if you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at And at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. See, sometimes the only time we pray is when other people are watching us. We go out to dinner. Oh, let's pray over our dinner. And and I believe when I pray over my dinner, it's a quick prayer because I don't want my dinner to get cold. I thank God for my dinner. I have had lunch, dinner with people that my food is cold by the time I eat it because they are praying so long. And now I'm thinking, is this all for show? Because all we need to do is ask God to bless what he's given us. Let's eat. It's like that's why you've got to find I love. The best person to pray at Thanksgiving dinner is a child. Because they'll go, dear God, thank you, let's eat. That's a good prayer over food. Thank you for giving me this food, let's eat. That's not showing off how religious you are. But, But when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who, and your father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask. And I'm reading that, studying for this text, and I'm thinking, well, if he needs what he knows what I need, why do I need to ask? If God actually knows what we need, and actually I believe God's gonna give us what we need, why do we pray? But Jesus prayed, and if Jesus needed to pray. I need to pray a lot more. And do you know how much time Jesus spent praying? And he's Jesus. He's God. And he prayed. How much more do you think prayer is an important part of our life? That would like me being married to Shelley and not speaking to her ever. That is the equivalent of not praying to God. Being married and never talking to somebody. Because we are supposed to be in a loving relationship with God. And everybody I love, I talk to. Well, I talk to everybody, but I... But, but... Well, mostly everybody. But... I love everybody. I don't like everybody. That's a better way of putting that. You can love people and you don't have to like them. I I, I like that definition the best. I love everybody. I don't like everybody. And not everybody likes me, but I hope everybody loves me. So that's a wrong way to pray. There is a wrong way to pray. See, even people who pray could pray the wrong way, obviously, because Jesus says it. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites, the people that put on a mask to pray, the people that want to look like they've got such a godly life that when they're up and they're praying, they're saying words they'd never say normally. See, what, what Jesus is saying is don't be like the religious people who pray on the street corners but not just store, store corners. They pray when lots of people can notice how religious they are. You see, so that other people can see what you're doing and think, wow, look at them. They must have a great relationship with Jesus. You know who I'm talking about. Everybody knows somebody like this. Somebody who, when they pray, they use words like, Shekinah glory and hallelujah. They throw these words in to their prayers all the time. And they they throw all these words that they would never use in a regular conversation with anybody else. But they throw in these words as like, they're like shotgun fires going, God, you heard it. And, And they think that these words that you're praying is, whoa, God, there's a hallelujah. God's in heaven listening. Oh, that person said hallelujah. What's he saying? 
But according to the Bible, God already knows what you're going to say. So we don't need to throw in all these special words. And I really love the people. I really love the people that speak modern English. But when they pray, I don't know what comes over them. I don't know what comes over them. But they start speaking in King James, old King James English. Thou Father in heaven, please perceive me. Just like that Victorian. That's why I picked that video because I wanted some humor in this. But, but we throw in these words and we would never use them words. We wouldn't speak to anybody else like that. Why would we speak to God like that? See, or then we throw in big words we wouldn't use. Because we want to impress God. This is so stupid. Because God knows who you are. So when you're praying, you're only impressing either other people or yourself. By throwing in big words. God knows how you talk. God knows everything about you. So there's a wrong way to pray. See, see I think people are going to be surprised when they get to heaven. Because I don't think we're going to speak English, let alone King James English, when we get to heaven. I think there's a heavenly language, and none of us speak it. None of us speak it. You see, and when Jesus is saying, don't stand on the street, he's not talking about a, the, the posture of a prayer. Jesus isn't saying there's a wrong way to pray, meaning you can't stand and pray, you can't sit and pray. Because the Bible, throughout the Bible, people lay prostrate in front of God, they kneel praying, they sit praying, and they stand praying throughout the whole Bible. So there is no special position to pray. There's no special, you can pray in any position you want. If you do yoga, you can do one of them special moves and you can be praying for all I care as long as you're praying to the God of the Bible. It doesn't matter. There's no special, there's no special way to pray. We also see, don't babble. This means don't keep repeating yourself over and over again. We've all, been, we've all listened to prayers like that, where every time somebody says something, they end it with the same saying. Instead of having, you wouldn't talk to somebody like that. God doesn't need to be talking like that. He, he wants to be spoken to like a father. See, and, 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 and when he says don't babble, he doesn't mean don't have long prayers because that would be ridiculous, because we know for a fact, according to Scripture, that Jesus prayed for a long period of time. See, Jesus teaches in, is in Luke 11, 1 through 13, that they should pray persistently. So that's not what he's talking about. Babel, he's talking about throwing in words that don't need to be in the conversation. Praying persistently means asking God. And, and we are supposed to be praying continuously. 
So not only are we supposed to have a time where we really do have a quiet time with God. I mean, you think about this. If the only time I talked to my wife was in front of other people, it would be a sad, pathetic relationship, wouldn't it? So we are supposed to have a quiet time with God. But we're also supposed to be praying throughout the day. We're supposed to see situations and pray. And I've always said, you're supposed to have a quiet time, but then you're supposed to have, I call them shotgun prayers throughout the day. Because you're walking down the street and you see something that you think needs to be prayed over and you shoot a prayer up to heaven right away. That's a shotgun prayer. You're quick, easy, just, hey God, please take care of this, whatever. Whatever comes into your mind at that time. Shotgun prayers. We're supposed to do them throughout the day. We're supposed to be in a constant relationship with God. This is the whole thing about the Lord's Prayer. It is supposed to be about a relationship with God. See, and and Jesus is not forbidding public prayer by any means. How often did Jesus pray in public? I mean, if Jesus is saying you shouldn't pray in public, then Jesus sinned because he prayed in public. So he's not saying we should never pray in public. He should say the motive of praying in public. And by the way, we're sinful human beings, so we have motive about everything that we do. See, what he reveals is that these people are less interested in God's approval than, and more concerned about human praise. The people that are playing on the street corners he's talking about, they're not looking for God's approval. They're looking for people's approval. And like Jesus says, they have received their reward. They have received their word. Jesus says we need to find a place to pray. And it doesn't have to be a closet. They don't even say closet in the Bible. We know for a fact that Jesus just went out into the the mountains and prayed. What Jesus is saying is is that we need need to get in a quiet place where we're not going to be disturbed. And we live in a world that you can be disturbed 24-7. We carry around little computers in our pocket. We, we are so involved in everything else, we spend more time on social media than we do in, in communication with God. We're too busy worrying about what other people think about what we posted. How many likes we get. Instead of taking that time switching off our cell phones and going somewhere where it's quiet. Going for a walk through the woods. Going for a walk on the street. I was listening to somebody talk about prayer like 10 years ago and and this was when the big Bluetooths were. Now you got little bitty. You don't even know people are wearing them. But he said... What he does is turn off his cell phone, but he leaves his Bluetooth in his ear. So when he's walking down the street talking, people don't look at him weird. 
because he's actually on a phone call to God. So his phone can be off because God doesn't need the phone, but he's got his Bluetooth in so he doesn't look like he's crazy. So we can use anything to talk to to, to, to take some time, to some quiet time, and have a relationship with God and build a relationship. Prayer is the most important thing we can do to build a relationship with God. I think prayer is more important than reading Scripture to get a relationship with God. I think reading Scripture is important. So that's how important I think prayer is. I think it trumps the Bible. And the fact that that's communicating with God. See, it's important to note that we don't always have to do this, but we should do it often. It might be that we go for a walk, it might be whatever, but we need to do it because Christianity is based on relationship. We need to get that. When you care about somebody or something, you want to spend time with them. We all here say, we love God. How many people in here would say, we don't love God? Nobody. But we don't spend any time with him. Or very little time with him. See, so we... So before we break down the Lord's Prayer, I want to point this out. Jesus says, pray like this, not pray this. Remember them words. Jesus said, before we talk about the Lord's Prayer, he said, pray like this. He didn't say, pray this. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm saying Jesus says we pray like this. I believe the Lord's Prayer is a model, not just for prayer life, but for your Christian life. It's a template. So let's take a look at Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. You see, we are God's children through adoption. We are to call God our Father. Do you know how amazing that we get to call God our Father is? Before this text, no one called God their personal Father. The Old Testament, he is referred to as father, but he's not referred to as a personal father. He's referred to as a father of a nation. As a nation. At this point, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. He's a personal father. See, Jesus is, this text is blowing up everything the world had known before this about God. They believed that God was the father of a great nation, which he is a father of a great nation. But Jesus in this, in this, in, in the original language uses the word Abba and not the group. This word means daddy. The closest word to this is daddy. 
That is intimate. That is an intimate word. We are to call God daddy, not because we deserve to call him daddy, because not, nobody in this room deserves to call God their dad. But because we have been adopted into God's family, we as believing Christians become his children. I always picture myself, because I wasn't a nice person, as this person that could not get adopted. This is my best way of saying it. And then this man come along. This single man. Abba. Came along and said, you know, see that guy in the corner? I want to take him and to be my son. And when he did, by the way, I behaved a little bit better, but not much better. And I'm still a work in progress. But he still adopted me. He didn't throw me to the curb because I wasn't perfect. He adopted us. He adopted you the same way. He chose you. Out of the adoption agency, he picked you and wants to call you his child. The all-powerful, all-knowing Think about it like that. Because not one person in here chose him first. Not one person. See, we were all dead to sin. And if you're dead, you can't do anything because you're dead. So somebody else had to do the work first. And that was God. That was Jesus. And he chose you and said, look, I want to adopt you into my family. Come. Come. We get this because God sent his son to live a life none of us could have lived. A death that we all deserved. But he rose and gave us salvation. And he did this. So if you personally believe in Jesus and what he God then adopts you into his family. This means you become a child of the most. And that is amazing. And do you know what's amazing? That means who's your brother? If, if God is our father, that makes Jesus our big brother. I like that. I like the fact that, that I've got a big brother named Jesus. I think that holds a lot of clout. When you say, hey, do you know who my brother is? It's Jesus. I don't think we look at it like this very often. That Jesus is our brother. If God is our father, Jesus is our brother. So when we, we start our prayers, we talk to God like he's our daddy. You pay him the respect due to a father. And that's hard for some of us. That's hard for some of us because we didn't grow up with loving fathers. Not all fathers are perfect. I don't actually, no father except God is perfect. But some of us, when we hear the term father and God in the same sentence, it scares us because we think of what our father did or how our father was. This is one of the main reasons 
Some people don't come to faith because they cannot understand the father relationship because they had a bad relationship with their father. There's women that, that, that had struggled for years coming to Christ because they were molested by their father. So when you say tell them that God is their father, they think, uh-uh, I ain't going to somebody called daddy because I know what daddies do, fathers do. See, so it's hard for some of us to, to get that, but, but this is what I say is that we have to look at God like the people that didn't have a grow up with a good father, we've got to look at God as the father we always wanted. The daddy we always wanted. You know, not, not the father that, 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 that the person we got dealt with in life. And I also believe, by the way, every father was the best father they could probably be. Because they're all sinners fallen from the grace of God. And the only thing that makes one person a better daddy than the other is because God's grace was poured upon them a bit more. I've said this, I've got a great relationship with my dad now that he was the best dad he could be. He couldn't be a better dad. He's a, he, he's a fallen creature, just like me. And if, I, if my children say that I was a good dad, it's only because God gave me a little bit more grace in that area of my life. Because there's a lot of areas in my life I wasn't a better person. We get to claim his attention with this childlike confidence. You know when you're children a little, everybody that's had children, when they come to you and they ask you for stuff, or, or you can imagine going to your parents, your daddy, and asking for stuff. For some of us, it's a lot longer than others. But, but to, you, it's like that confidence you have because, because when you're little too, it's, it's the best because everybody's dad, when they're little, is the strongest man in the universe. Everybody. When you're little, that's how you think. Your daddy is, is the best. That is the kind of confidence we're supposed to go to with to, to God. We are supposed to, to, to go through him and publicly claim through our faith in his work. See, the best way to understand this is to look at children and see how they talk to their daddy. You know, when my children, they're, they're all grown up now. But when my children, and, I, and, and, and my daughter still calls me daddy when she wants something. And, and, and it just makes me crumble, so she knows that. And she uses it. And I'm, I'm glad that she does. I'm glad that, and I didn't adopt her. I wish I did, but, but she considers me her daddy. And to me, that is an amazing thing because we're not blood related. But she shows me to be her daddy. And she still calls me daddy to this day. She still signs her cards. Father's Day is coming up. It will be signed to Daddy. You know, so, so we're supposed to have that, you know, when they come to you with that request and say, they don't come and say, 
Thou Father, I would like, if, if your child come to you and went, Thou greatest Father, could I beseech you to get, you would not even take them seriously. But they come to you and say, Daddy, you are, are, your ears prick up, you listen. See, and we're, God is our daddy. Intimate relationship. The most perfect daddy in the world. See, I personally obviously love being called daddy. I don't think it's something that little children have to call their dad. I think my big kids can call me daddy if they want. It doesn't sound weird to me. It is a gift that God gave me. And God wants us to approach him the same way. You know, I wonder, this is me, my brain works like this. I wonder if God, when he hears you come to him like this, daddy, instead of being so religious in your prayer, that he smiles. Even though he's a spirit, he smiles somehow. He smiles and thinks, this is one of my children. So if I, being a sinful being, hear my kids and they call me daddy and request and I try to do what I can to help them. And I don't help them all the time because I think some of the things they ask for are stupid. But I think God works the same way. Uh, He's just more discerning than me. So he, he knows what's really stupid and what's not stupid. So he, I've always said this, God answers all prayers, yes, no, maybe later. Remember that? He never doesn't answer a prayer. Whatever you pray, he answers. You can pray for a million dollars. He might tell you no. You see? He says, no, yes, maybe. There is answers. And maybe, maybe later, it's on God's time and not yours. So it might be 20 years from now. But he does answer prayers because I've kept prayer journals. And some of them prayers took years to answer. And when I wrote them down, they were really thoughts that I were writing thoughts down to God. And I can look back at them now and go, wow, God really did that. God really worked in them things. And, 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 and he answered them. But not in my wanted it answered that day, by the way. But he didn't. He took his time. But when he did, it was so sweet. So how much more does God know? Because he knows everything. He knows all your needs. He knows some of your wants too, by the way. He's just not going to give you them all. Because he knows what you're going to do with the wants. Romans 8.14, what we read earlier in the Message Bible. It puts it like this. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is and we know who we are. Father and children. 
And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable, unbelievable inheritance. We go through excitedly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. See, this means God is, and I highlighted the R for a reason, our Father. Our Father. That means he's not just my father, he's not just my daddy, but you, your daddy too. So that makes him our Father. So when we pray, we're supposed to say our Father. So that includes those God's children that differ in opinion to us. who don't believe the same doctrines as we believe. They are still God's children. And they might be right and we might be wrong. There's not no perfect human being. There are some so different from us. They're, they're like they're from a distant planet. Have you ever been around these people? Because I have. But they're still children of God. They still believe that Jesus came and died for them. Just like me. So we're supposed to pray, Our Father. We have brothers and sisters. I I have two brothers, two sisters. Not one of us is alike. Not one of us. We might have similar traits, but none of us are alike. But I love them all. They all don't believe the same way as me. They all don't definitely think the same way as me. But I love them because they're my family. So, why, as Christians, do we spend so much time fighting instead of loving? Why do we have to be the ones that are right sometimes? When we should be just saying, I, I, this is how I work with my Christian beliefs. I've got a closed hand and an open hand. Okay? God created the world, is in my closed hands. Jesus died for, for me, is in my closed hands. But there's a lot of doctrines that are in this hand. That are, it's open. Because there's no biblical evidence that I'm right or you're right. It's, it's inconclusive. We might never know. But we need to have an open hand. We do need a closed hand, but only on a few things. There's only a few things in the Bible that we need to be so closed hands, and we shouldn't fight about them. We shouldn't fight about our differences. Our differences should actually bring us together, not, not drive a wedge in us. And if you, if, if you listen to the media in the world today, do you know what the media... Were? wants to drive a wedge between us. They want to make our differences drive a wedge between us. They don't want to they don't want our differences to bring us together. They like it when we're not together. That gives them plenty of good stories to write. God wants us to come together. He wants us to love all people. 
See, so when we pray, we should also pray together as a group. We should have a few friends that we get together with and have prayer with. Maybe at least once a month, if not every couple of weeks or every week. That we, we have friends that we say, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to pray. And, and do you know what blows my mind when we say, I say about praying together? Our prayer requests, since, since we've been taking them online, are down. Are down. And is that because we're taking them online and it's too hard? Because if it's too hard for you to write a prayer request, Come see me and I'll show you. Everybody near enough owns a smartphone and I'll show you how to write a prayer request on, on the prayer request if that's the case. Or I've said before, you can always come to me, Dave, or David as long as it's not at 8 o'clock when the service starts or at 10.30 when the service starts and tell us because that happens all the time, by the way. It's a little bit hectic when it's two minutes before service and somebody says, here, can you pray for... When, if you go on our website, and, and I'm telling you, this is, this is the thing. This is, I, I come to this conclusion a couple of weeks ago. People say they don't get technology. But I went on a cruise ship about, this would probably be about eight years ago, the first time I went on a cruise ship. And I've never gambled in a gambling machine, probably since I was 18 when you pulled the lever and, and, but, so I thought, ah, I'm going to put $5 in this machine. I didn't even know what the machine was doing. Yet I go past all of these betting places, and there's no, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying these, all, these people know how to use these machines, and I'm like, I don't understand these machines. Yet I can build near enough anything. I can work with a lot of different technology. But then machines, I don't get them. I don't understand them. And I tell, I told this old person, well, when I, sorry if I'm offending anybody, I told this old person, hey, you say you can't understand your cell phone, but you're at the gambling place once a week, and you can figure that out because you want to. It's motivation. So I believe if you really want to get on a website and write a prayer request, I believe you've got the ability to do it. And, and, and our prayers have gone way down. The requests we get, uh, 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 we used to have a stack this big we had to pray for. I personally like this way of getting prayer requests because, because we get them like this, we can read them. And then I have a physical copy of them. I can pray for them throughout the week too because they're on my phone because that's where they come. They come to my phone. I get an email. When you fill out a prayer request, I get an email, and it shows me the prayer request. So if you've emailed a prayer request and it hasn't been prayed for, be mad at me because I'm the one who didn't put it down. But I always pray for every prayer request that gets sent in. And if you need help filling out a prayer request, let me know, and I will show you how to fill out a prayer request on, on our website. Because we are supposed to pray together. We're supposed to lift up our prayers together. And these people, by the way, who, when they write prayer requests, and this is why I went through this whole rabbit trail of, of the prayer request thing, is I love the unspoken prayer. They'll, they'll write they need prayer, but they won't say what it's for. If we can't be honest in this room, 
as a group of brothers and sisters, how can we be honest when we walk out the door? Why are we afraid of saying what we're struggling about or what we're needing for prayer? Instead of writing, hey, I'm struggling right now with whatever it is. Can you pray for me? That is the power of prayer. As I'm studying for this sermon, I'm looking at at our our forefathers, our Christian forefathers from the 16th, 17th, 18th, 1900s, and their prayer lives. Because their prayer lives were amazing. I'm not, I don't believe, I don't agree with everything they did, all the stuff they did, but their prayer lives were amazing. When you read stories of how they, they moved, praying together, and what happened, and you look at stories where this prayer gathering started in New York, and, and this person decided to have a prayer gathering, and it started with two people, and within within month, it was hundreds of people going to this prayer gathering, and things were changing. Things were changing. That's because every revival starts with prayer. And we are to pray together. Romans. 12, verse 5 says this. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members one of another. We are one body. And by the way, that's not just we're one body in this church. The universal church. Every church, every believing Christian on this planet is one body. Many body parts, one body. Just because they go to a different denomination than us, because it's funny, because people will always ask me when I say, I'm a pastor. I love the question. The next question, I will tell you. The next question, after I tell them I'm a pastor, it's not, where are you a pastor? What denomination are you? They, they're going to judge me on my denomination. And what's funny is, obviously, non-denominational is cool. Because you usually get a good response when it's non-denominational. I mean, I did a long time ago when I told somebody I was going to be a, a, a pastor. And, and I always thought God was going to put me, even though I I got saved in this church, that he was going to plant a church, and I was going to plant a church somewhere, okay? And God obviously had other plans for me. But I told this, this, this Catholic lady, it was funny, and it's nothing against Catholic religion, but I said, I'm going to plant a church. God's going to, I'm going to plant a church one day, and I might still plant a church one day. I don't know what God's going to do, but I told this lady that I feel God's going to have me plant a church. She goes, how are you going to do that? How... I said, I'm going to rent a building and I'm going to start a church. She looked at me like I was crazy because you can't do that as a, as a Catholic. You've you got to get all the approval 
And she thought, like, you can't do that. I said, well, what do you think they were doing before 300 uh, AD? Before the Catholic Church started. They were having house churches all the time. That's how your church got started, by the way. John 13, 34 through 35 says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. You see, that one another we're supposed to love is every Christian brother, every single Christian brother and sister. Whether you agree with them or not, you are to love them. Love them. You don't have to agree with them, but you have to love them. That was Jesus, not me. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And how did God Jesus love us? He went to a cross for us. So these people, do you think Jesus... You see, Jesus loves everybody. I'm not sure Jesus would like everybody. Because I don't think Jesus would agree with everybody. I believe Jesus loves everybody. So, Jesus went to the cross to die for all of his chosen people. He is saying love, because he's talking to Christians here. Love one another as I have loved you. So whether we love some, whether we agree with somebody, we should be praying with them and for them. See, because by this, by this, not by anything else, by this, all people, not some people, But all people will know that you are my disciples. How will they know? Because you love like nobody else loves. See, a lot of us love like everybody else loves. We love the people we like. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Because if that was the case, everybody would be associated with Jesus. We're supposed to love differently, obviously, because Jesus says, love one another. So as we love one another, our brothers and sisters, so when we see each other struggle, we should be there by their side. That's how people will know that we are his disciples. If you have love for one another instead of hate. You know, the biggest diversion, division, division in the church right now is that we hate each other. That we, 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 we fight over stupid stuff in the church. That is the biggest division. That is the biggest thing right now stopping people coming to Christ. Because they don't know what to believe. Galatians 3.28 says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. We are all one in Christ. Let's stop being the people that put divisions between people. Our Father understands us. See, God gives you the power of the Holy Spirit so you can communicate through your big brother Jesus to God, your daddy. See, this is how God understands us. This is how daddy understands us. Do you know my son Ryan, you all know him, okay? I think, and, and he had a speech impeditive. He, no problem. He's probably got it from me. But, but we couldn't even understand him when he was three years old. When he was four years old. Do you know who could understand him? His sister. She understand every word he said. And I'm telling you, there's some words he said he shouldn't have said because they sounded like words he shouldn't say. We were in a store one time and he was asking for a truck in Walmart and it didn't sound like truck. So guess what he got? Uh, he got to carry that truck all the way to the register anyway. Then we traded it for a candy bar because he was a big kid. He liked candy. So we didn't have to buy this $30 truck. But he wanted this truck and he wasn't yelling truck. He was yelling something else that we're not going to say. Okay, but his sister could, could translate his language. I believe this is similar. This is what I used to tell the kids in children's church. This is how we pray. We pray using the Spirit. We pray. Jesus intercepts that call because he's our big brother, and he goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to need to translate this. So then he translates it to, to, to God. So we understand it. Not that God doesn't know all our thoughts. It's a way of understanding how the Trinity works. See, Jesus is the only way we get in the presence of God. Without him, we cannot be in the presence of God. We will burn like a bright flame in the presence of God. It's only because of what Jesus has done for us that we even can be in the presence of God. That we can even be in the presence of God. See, but God uses all three parts of himself to do it. And I really believe this. I believe that God uses the spirit to pray for us. Because I think, here's what happens. My brain sometimes is not thinking, right? So when I pray, the Holy Spirit discerns and, and lifts it up to Jesus. And Jesus lifts it up to God. And that's how I believe prayer works. It might not be like that. That's an open hand thing, by the way. So... You can agree to disagree, but this is how I think my prayer life works, and it works for me. I believe that my big brother is my translator. I believe I've got a speech impediment, and I can't talk to God because of that. And, and I pray, and God, my big brother, translates it for me. Because God understands everything. Because our big brother, Jesus, translates it for us. And that's just my way of looking at it. It might be wrong. It might be right. I don't know. I don't really care because it works for me. If, if, if you've got a healthy prayer life and you pray to God and, and, and you can communicate with God, I think it, it's good. And this is how it works for me. It's a good picture of 
of prayer to me. It's like a freeway call. God, again, will answer when we pray. Yes, no, maybe later, just like any loving father would do. Matthew 6, 9 says this. The other part of it says, Our Father in heaven, and it says, Hallowed, hallowed be your name. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? See, God is holy. This means there's no, none like God. God is unique. Holy, unique. You see, we don't need to tell God this because this is my point is, is when you pray this prayer, a lot of people go, well, why am I got to pray hallowed be your name? Didn't God already know he's hallowed? Didn't God already know he's great? Yes, he does. And before he created human beings, he didn't need anybody to tell him he was great. If he did, he had the Trinity, so him, him, his son, and the Holy Spirit could be in a communication and telling each other how great they are. We don't need to tell God this because he needs to hear it. Because God doesn't have an ego. No, we tell God how holy he is and unique he is. And how great he is. Because we need to hear it. Because we forget. Obviously we forget. Because there's times. Do you ever worry? Do you ever worry? Well, why would you worry? You're a child of God. Because you forget who God is. Do you ever get stressed out? Because I do. Because I forget who God is. Because I need to, to say it. To believe it. And a good way of doing this is to read Scripture. To read the Psalms. To read the way David said how great. His words are beautiful, poetic. I love, I I think he's a little wacky. He's got two personalities there. One time he's high, one time he's low. He'd probably be on medication if he lived today. But he, he wrote such beautiful words about how great God is. We can start by acknowledging God is our father, our Abba, our daddy, personal. But we can also st- start telling God how great he is. Read, pray some prayer some psalms when you pray. Look through the psalms and and pray some psalms while you're praying. Looking for scripture that says, God, you are so great. Do you know why you do that? Because if you did that every day, say you read when when you prayed a couple of psalms every day, you prayed a couple of psalms in your prayer life. 
And notice, by the way, we're not even going to talk about asking for God for anything for another three or four weeks. But note that, that if you do this, if you pray like this, God, God will let you understand how great he is. You will put it in here, and then you'll realize, and I believe you'll worry less, and you'll be stressed less, because you'll know who your father is and who's taking care of you. Because if you have a loving daddy that's taking care of you, if you're, if you, when you were a child, or your children probably didn't worry about if the electric was being paid, did they? They weren't stressed out, were they, when you were at home? They shouldn't have been anyway, if they were. If they were, you were a bad parent, by the way, because you let them know too much. But, but they shouldn't have been stressed out because they knew that you were going to provide for them. They weren't worried about what they were going to eat. The food was on the table. We're children of the Most High who created the whole universe. We need to start understanding that. We still need to start to understand how he is. R.C. Sproul said this, how we treat God's name reflects on how we feel about him. How we treat God's name reflects how we feel about him. That is why we need to say, God, you are holy. Not because we need to, he needs to hear it, because we need to hear it. So this week, I want you to take some time this week and look through God's word, looking for, for ways to praise him, and pray, and find some other brothers and sisters that you can pray with. You know, we all own cell phones. I said you should turn it off when you pray. But maybe, if you can't get together and pray, you know there's a phone, and you, there's a button on it. It says speaker. So you, both of you, like, if you're a couple, you, you say, say, Russ and Kathy, go, well, yeah, we're going to call this person. We're going to put it on speaker so we can both be heard. And the other couple, they're going to put it on speaker, and we pray together. You don't even have to be in the same room. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to get together. It should, we should get together. We should get together. We should have dinner. We should do all these things as, as a fellow believers. But we don't have to every time. When we find ourselves struggling, we should have people that are, that are at the top of the list, other brothers and sisters, that we can say, hey, I'm going to call such and such because I need to pray. I need help. I'm struggling. We should have other brothers and sisters that we are so confident in that they will pray and pray with us that they are the first people we call, the first people we get in contact with. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for being such a wonderful, awesome God. Thank you for loving us as, as a daddy. Not just, not just saving us, but you adopted us into your family. You gave us a big brother, Jesus. And we get to pray to you, God. We get to ask you for stuff. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.